Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Back to School with Maz Jobrani. This is our first remote episode we're doing because of the coronavirus, COVID-19. We have on with us today a staff writer from The Atlantic Magazine, which is doing great coverage of the coronavirus, COVID-19. The writer who's going to be speaking with us today, his name is uh, Alexis Madrigal. He wrote an article with another writer named Robinson Mayer. The article's name is How the Coronavirus Became an American Catastrophe. Google it, read it. It's an amazing, amazing piece. Um, Alexis, who's going to be here with us today, speaking with us, he also has started a website called covidtracker.com, where they are tracking the number of tests done in every state in America. And it's one of the more accurate sites that's keeping track of that. So make sure to follow that website as well. Alexis is here today to talk to us about why testing for the coronavirus was and is so important. Uh, also, he's going to talk to us about how these other states who feel that they don't have that many cases and they can go out and interact and they don't need to do social distancing, how that is very wrong. Social distancing is super important right now. Do it, do it, do it. And we're going to be talking about how now is no longer the time to be polite. Don't hold the door for anybody. Don't shake anybody's hands. Just keep your distance. Namaste. Stay home. Let's go back to school with Maz Jobrani. Maz Jobrani. Hey. Jobrani Maz. Oh, Maz Jobrani. Hey. Jobrani. Mazzy, Mazzy. Oh, Maz, 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 Maz. Hey. I got a podcast. Oh, back to school. All right, guys, welcome to the first remote episode of Back to School with Maz Jobrani. We're doing it on Zoom. I want to thank uh, Caitlin for organizing this. Thank you, Caitlin. Of course. Namaste. Technical um, consultant. Are, yes, technical consultant. <laughs> Caitlin is co-host, booker, producer, <laughs> editor, technical consultant. And we have Tehran, who is our resident uh, coronavirus. Uh, what are you doing there, Tehran? I, I want to make sure everyone washed their hands before we started the show. Did everyone wash their hands? Are we social distancing? Are we good? I'm making sure. You look I haven't like seen you're a person in, the in months. Yeah, you look like you're in the movie Contagion. You were talking about that movie, right? Yeah, that movie is so appropriate right now. I don't know if you've seen it, but you should definitely check it out. I just watched it recently. That's exactly where this is inspired by. That and Breaking Bad. I've been watching uh, this season of Homeland because there's so much crazy stuff going on. It allows me to forget about our crazy world and mm -hmm. go into Carrie's crazy world for a while. What have you been watching, uh, Caitlin? I've been watching Curb Your Enthusiasm new season. That's all I can handle right now. <laughs> yeah. I watched now, Netflix. My Netflix is done. I've watched everything. I, oh, I watched Tiger King, which was also psychotic. It was like so crazy. I forgot about the craziness at home. Tiger that King. Was, and I heard there's yeah, this great comedy insane. special called Immigrant on, on Netflix. You my favorite. My favorite yes. thing to watch right now. Yes. Immigrant yes. on Netflix. All these Mazda Bonnie's hilarious. How dry are your hands from washing? Horrible. You know, I use a lot of lotion. Yeah, my problem is, this is what, this, let me give you my routine. This is what happens. I wash my hands, then I lotion, and then I have like a little itch on my nose. So I just kind of, my hands are clean now. So I just like, I won't, I won't pick, I just like tap it. And then I go, shit. And then I go back and I wash them again. And then I lotion. <laughs> but you're just getting your own germs on your hands. So that's, you can live with that. 
Good point, Dr. Yeah. Dr. Caitlin. Can you, can you, Tehran, what do you think? Can you infect yourself? Uh, no, here's the thing. It's so interesting. Well, yeah. you, you can't get coronavirus from your nose. Your nose gets coronavirus from your finger. Your skin is water, right. waterproof. Your skin is skin tight. That's the concept. That epidermis, it's when you insert it in the membranes, your mouth, your nose, your Membrane. eyes. That's how it happens. That's how viruses insert your body is to go inside. So you can't, to get, to get coronavirus, you have to com, come in contact with someone who actually has coronavirus. However, to get afraid to fear, all you have to do is spread a rumor. And that's what's been going on right now. So many people have been spreading rumors. Well, I think the yeah, problem for me is that this damn thing they say can live on surfaces for a certain number of hours or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know what surface has it, what surface doesn't. I've been home, but I, I don't know. The boxes come from Amazon. Is don't it on the touch. Box? You should yeah. wipe those down. And wipe everything. Wipe them down. A hundred. It stays on cardboard, from what I saw on CDC, four days, and on, on metal for like a week. And, and, and it stays forever. Yeah, this is the worst. Yeah. Who invented this disease? That's what you I need be, to know. You should be in a bubble next episode, like Bubble Boy. This better have been That's one amazing. delicious bat. That better have been one delicious bat. Yeah, I hope it was worth it. Yeah, she's a bat eater. Ooh, here she comes, here she comes. Watch out for she'll chew you up. Listen, here's the situation we're in. We have with us today, um, I read this article. The Atlantic has been doing great, great coverage of this. Anybody who wants to get great, I think knowledge is power in this, in this situation. Mm -hmm. Because yes, we freak out. Yes, we're worried. But when you read about it or you see Dr. Fauci speaking, you go, all right, cautious optimism. We'll mm -hmm. get through this. Let's make it happen. So I was reading this article by Alexis Madrigal and Robinson Mayer. Uh, and it's called, again, how the uh, coronavirus became an American catastrophe. And it covers the fact that there was doctors talking about it in January and in February. And people just weren't listening to them. And Alexis even says in the interview how it took the NBA and and Tom Hanks getting it for people to start paying attention. And that's part of it is human nature. Part of it's the American way we keep moving forward. Even now that we know it's serious, our own president is saying Easter Sunday, I want everyone in churches. What the hell is wrong with this guy? Um, you know, <laughs> you, what you were able to do it. You were able to throw in. Well, this is an obvious one. Yeah. One thing that pissed me off. You haven't seen the tweet. You guys see the tweet. One thing that pissed me off. He did a tweet where he said, this is Trump did a tweet where he said that that the media is trying to keep the, the businesses closed because they don't want him to be reelected. And I was uh -huh. like, he took the coronavirus and made it about him. He's a megalomaniac. He can't just sit there and go, no, we're gonna listen to the scientists and, and we'll make a decision. So yeah. anyway. Well, that's a good point is that re reading the Atlantic as opposed to like what I do, which is just like scroll down Twitter and like see all these things and freak out. And all of a sudden everyone's tweeting like, my cousin is a nurse and she's begging for help. And it's like, oh my, it's too much. You got to read Listen, new, actual news. We can only do so much. I actually have a friend of mine. Her name is Dr. Thais Ali Abadi. If anybody's watching this, you can find her on Instagram, Dr. Thais, T-H-A-I-S. And she set up a GoFundMe page where people can donate to buy um, medical equipment to take to the hospitals in Los Angeles. So you can find people like that if they're legit, support them and, and do what we can, right? So we are, one of the things I realized about being a comedian is that we're useless. Like we don't, <laughs> we don't do anything. 
but we can provide this so people can be, you know, entertained a little bit or be, you know, educated in this case by our guest today, uh, Alexis Madrigal. So I want people to listen. I want them to share. If you have questions, comments, please go ahead and hit us up. Tehran, you're at? at I am Tehran. Is Alexis Madrigal Al Madrigal's brother? That's what I thought, but no. Uh, Caitlin, cool. you are at? I am at Hollywood Psychic 1. I changed it. Hollywood Ooh. Psychic? Because okay. no wow. one could find right. my Instagram. Everyone was writing to me like, who are you? And so it's Hollywood okay. Psychic 1. Okay, very good. And I am at Maz Jobrani. Listen to these episodes. Please share them. These are very important episodes as we have some smart minds teaching us some, some, some important things. Stay safe. Social distance. Namaste. Let's go back to school with Maz Jobrani. Uh, Alexis, thank you so much for joining us. We know you're super busy with the website you've started, which is covidtracking.com, correct? Correct. Yep. Okay. So right off the bat, first question for my son, Dara. Here we go. Hi, Mr. Magical. I have a question for you. How does your website count the cases for coronavirus? That is a very solid question. Um, All right, I can answer that. Um, So the main source for us are the state public health websites. So basically every state, like in the U.S., other places like public health can be run at the federal level and works kind of differently. Here, it's really state by state, right? So you, like, California runs the Department of Public Health for California, and Kentucky's runs it, and, you know, Ohio's runs it. And they all report a little bit differently. So we go to all those websites every day with human beings. We have some like automated tools that help, but we go with human beings every day, multiple times a day. We pull their numbers. And then we also have reporters who listen to press conferences, um, who call up uh, public health departments and otherwise try and like fill in the numbers. And that's really it. I mean, it's basically this uh, sort of machine-aided um, human data ingestion process. It's like this kind of robot that's crawling all over the um, all over the internet and um, trying to pull in the most accurate numbers, specifically about sort of the intensity of the outbreak um, and also the responses to it. So that's testing and that's also outcomes data like hospitalizations and deaths. And things. Has the CDC still not stopped? Because I know they took the numbers down. Do you know why? Was it a uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, thing. We're, yeah, we're we're not really sure what's going on over there. You know, we, we started this thing like the whole project uh, kind of was incubated at the Atlantic, and then with uh, a friend of mine from college named uh, Jeff Hammerbacher, who's a data scientist. And um, we thought we'd be doing it for a week, maybe. You know, I mean, it's grueling. I mean, it takes a lot of time, and you you just can't mess up or it messes up all the users of the data who are out there. So we, um, uh, we thought, okay, we, we can do this for a week. We brought in some volunteers. We started running these shifts and all this stuff. But we figured, like, of course, the CDC, like every other well-governed country, would eventually step in and start reporting, like, state or province-level data like the rest of the world's governments do. Um, instead, you know, here I am in Oakland. It's basically like the Oakland branch, the CDC here. You know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And... More importantly, we can't force standardized data collection across all these states. Like we have to deal with what they put out. We can cajole them, we can ask them, we can pester them, we can like put pressure on governors to do stuff, all of which we've done. Um, But we can't just say, hey, 
we are the federal government and you here's what you should do you know and um so it's not just a, uh, that we don't want to do the work you know we're happy to do the work it's that the federal government and cdc could just get better data and require that it happens and we instead are, are left to pick up the pieces what's the difference between yours and the johns hopkins university one that everyone was referring me to before yeah 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 john Thompson is great we're buddies with that collection effort also um you know they're focused primarily on like cases and like deaths and to a lesser extent recoveries um but there's kind of two geographic levels too right like some people are working at like the county level so the new york times just released a big data set of all their like county level cases and deaths um, there's another project called COVID atlas which is working on the same thing and then there's john Hopkins, which also has that um, county data set we we think those efforts are awesome we also you just can't do that with human beings there's too many counties you know um and even if you use the state level reporting of county stuff like it's still not um it's not consistent across the country and you really only get cases and deaths um and for us because we want to track testing because we feel like that's a really important piece of this story and we also want to track hospitalizations because that's important for understanding the strain on the healthcare system um you only get that at the state level so you know, these efforts are all trying to help each other. They're all trying to like, you know, we're all friendly. We all like each other. It, it has a lot to do with just sort of what's your lane? What have you chosen to concentrate on? And then um, the other big difference between all these projects is sort of what's your like human to machine mix? You know, we basically are the human humans, um, but there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of machine work done by by different projects and then the new york times is the new york times they got like 50 people against this stuff so well, this actually on. takes me uh, hold on sorry run real quickly and then, and then i'll let you go on this because this takes me alexis to your article which was written in the atlantic which i love the thing about how this became a, an american catastrophe mm -hmm. um can you take us back for our our viewers and listeners and explain to us because i heard early on that there was a test either out of Germany that the WHO was using or somebody was using and we said no to that. Then we wanted to try and use a CDC one, then there was problems with it. Meanwhile, you have this doctor, is it Tedford or Bedford who's saying, yeah, Bedford. You know, the skies, yeah. So, so tell us that story. Yeah, sure. So, so here's really what happened, you know, usually, I mean, the CDC and our public health, I mean, that's what makes what happened so shocking. American public health, like basically we invented this shit basically we're really good at it um and we have been through all these years and we've helped all these other countries with it and uh we, we just sort of how do you do this sort of disease surveillance um the cdc generally speaking has made its own test so like zika ebola all these other things um you know you need to put together the chemicals you need to put together the recipe and the instructions for like how do you do this actual test like what's like step by step how do you just have like lab techs crank this thing out and that's what the cdc puts out the chemicals and the recipe um in this case what happened was and no no one's really quite sure although it's actually not very uncommon i've heard from people who do this kind of laboratory testing sometimes just like the chemicals don't work the way they're supposed to you have manufacturing problems or whatever so the CDC puts out this thing that requires these like three crucial chemicals. And one of them is some guy, <laughs> one testing guy told me was dog shit. So that then, um, you know, that's March, uh, that's all happening um, kind of through February where they're trying to like figure out like, hey, what do we do? This test doesn't seem to really be working. And meanwhile, the American strategy for fighting this thing is to just try and like stop it at the border. So we got no tests on the inside. 
and we kind of go like, well, we'll just like uh, anyone from Wuhan who had symptoms, we'll just like make sure that we like stop them. Okay, anyone from Asia, okay, only foreigners from these places. Like, and we set up a lot of things that we kind of knew. I've been reading a lot of this stuff. Like the CDC knew some people would slip through the cracks, but I don't think anyone imagined that by the time they were making these actions, people already had slipped through the cracks. And the best evidence we have for that is that a guy up at Red Hutch uh, Cancer Research Center at the University of Washington, um, basically what he can do is he compares, he sequences the genomes of all these different viral strains. So like somebody gets you know, COVID-19, he'll sequence that genome, someone else gets it, he'll sequence that genome. And he puts them together into basically like a family tree. And he goes like, all right, we know that these viruses mutate at a certain rate, and we know that this is this many generations apart, so when did this thing arrive here in Seattle? Mm -hmm. And the best they can figure is about January 15th. Um, we now see uh, the early evidence that the New York outbreak, which is right now the biggest, most intense in the country, is almost certainly related to that Seattle outbreak and might even have been the same person. So. Oh. You're looking at like, at some point there was one you know, patient zero who got here and that those infections start to spread. And um, you know, the doubling time that uh, a lot of people use is about every six days for uncontrolled transmission, which you know, doesn't seem like that would go very fast. But like once you start getting the bigger numbers, six days of doubling is like really, really fast. And so, the real, the real tragedy is this lost February, where basically if we had been testing and we had been looking for what's called community transmission, that's like where you know you just go outside to the store and you get it. It's not like somebody you knew was sick. It's not like someone coming back from Italy or Wuhan. It's just like you get it from the world. Um, if we'd been testing for that, then we probably would have found it earlier. We might have been able to contain it. Instead, because we had so few tests, and this is a part we're still exploring, and because of the way that, that we decided we were gonna try and stop this thing at the border, instead of assuming that it would get through, as it did, and testing more broadly, um, we got caught with our pants down. And by the time the thing really started to show up at the Kirkland Nursing Home in Seattle, it was too late. There were already so many infections and so many uh, doublings baked in. Uh, and that's that's really what we think of as as the catastrophe is like we blinded ourselves to this thing both by policy and by the failure of the test. Um, and the ultimate fix just at the very end of February, the ultimate fix for that CDC chemical problem was they just said, okay, just use two of the three chemicals. And the ultimate irony is the guys up at University of Washington who were the ones who've been doing the most testing. They tried out all the different tests by all the different companies and, and um, the, all the different assays, they call them. And the two best turned out to be the German one, which the WHO used originally and which we could have had at the very beginning, and the CDC one using just the two chemicals, which we also could have been using the whole time. Mm -hmm. So it's one of these things where you just go like, man, you know, maybe some of the decisions that were made made sense back on like planet A when we didn't know there was a pandemic coming. But man, the second it seemed clear that there was that this was going to happen, people needed to like shift their decision making away from well, let's let's just take our time with this. They needed to be moving much much faster. And right now, that's the part of the story that I'm really working on with the Atlantic is to try and figure out who inside the CDC and the FDA was saying, "Hey, we need to move ahead," and who was saying, "Hey, we need to hold back." And was there anybody at any other part of the federal government, like in the White House or whatever else? Who, who had a say in, in those decisions. 
Have well, they what, given a reason? Sorry, Tehran, I keep jumping, but because you got it. Such great information. Have they given a reason as to why they did not take the German one that the WHO was using? Is there an excuse yet, or we don't know? You know, I did, honestly, what it looks like to me is just like we're the CDC. This is what we do. We make these tests. I mean, they the the a lot of the you know self image there is they're like the swashbuckling like you know detectives. We they're and they're the best in the world. You know, so like. It's like, uh, it's like asking the Yankees why they didn't just like, you know, take all their players from the Red Sox. You know what I mean? It's like, well, because we're the Yankees. That's why, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, that's, that's the basic reason, at least as far as we know. I mean, if you think about sort of where we are as a country and the kind of resurgent nationalism in America and the pullback from like a more global world and like some of these other things, did that play a role in setting the context for why the U.S. would just say, even after we were having trouble with our assay, no, we're gonna forge ahead with ours, instead of just saying, oh shit, we need to start testing, let's just take the WHO test and start using it right now because we can. Should we have done that? Like clearly, yes, the answer is yes. Um, and, uh, and the real question is, we, should they have known that? Did they know that they should have done that? Or, or should they have known that? Um, or if they did know that, did someone tell them not to do it? Like those are the outstanding questions that we're still trying to answer. I was, the only thing I wanted to ask, well, first of all, with the doubling, it reminds me of this thing when I was a kid where if you got one penny and doubled it every day for 30 days, you would end up with $5 million, like $368,000 or whatever. It reminds right. me of that. And you've been exactly on this, yeah. exactly. And you've been on this early. I, I read an article where on March 8th, you were explaining how many cases were underreported. Where do you think we are now on the underreporting of coronavirus cases? Um, you know, I mean, I think the rule of thumb would be like, maybe we're capturing like, depends on the state and everything, but we're capturing maybe 10, 15% on the high end. Could be capturing as little as 5%. I mean, these are huge error bars. Like the That's truth is, huge. We just have no idea. But the question is, for me, like I look at the number of uh, confirmed cases and I say like, am I multiplying this by, you know, uh, eight? Am I multiplying it by, you know, 10? Am I multiplying it by, you know, 20? Like it's, we don't really know. And we're probably not gonna know until they have this other kind of test, which will be antibodies. So that test, like basically, mm -hmm. did you have this already? And when we start to do that kind mm -hmm. of testing, that's when we'll get sort of like large scale sort of like what percentage of the population had this and we'll be able to compare it to the numbers that we got from this other kind of testing and we'll be able to, to compute that. But it's probably gonna be like some weeks or months uh, until we know that those tests are reliable um, and, that, and also that they're manufactured in sufficient numbers that you could like do a big screen of the, of the population. So we're hearing things from like some of these states, I guess, what was it, Oklahoma? Was One of the governors today said, we're not, we're American, we're not gonna go on lockdown or whatever. And then, and then I see your article, you talk about Trevor Bedford, who was saying in early February, there was like 400 and some odd cases. And if we'd acted then, we might've been able to contain that. Mm -hmm. So take that and apply it to these states that are saying, oh, we ain't seeing nothing, we're good, we're fine. What would you yeah. say to these states? I mean, this isn't me talking, this is like every epidemiologist that I've ever talked to or read is just like, that's crazy. Like this is, um, 
you know, there's this number that they call the R not, right? It's like how many people does the average person who get who gets infected, how many people do they transmit it to? And like that's not that's a that number is both a function of the contagiousness of the virus itself, you know, as well as like the social context of the virus. And what I would say is that epidemiologists like to stop the outbreak, you have to get R not under one. You know, you have to get like, that's it. You, you got to get it under that replacement or it's going to keep growing. And, you know, these places where people aren't willing to put in these social distancing measures and stuff, they're just going to see grow growth. And I think right now those people are hoping for some kind of bailout, some kind of deus machina kind of solution that drops from the sky and just solves this for them whether that's like some miraculous vaccine, which no one expects nor they should expect, whether that's like, you know, antivirals, whether that's just like, oh, well, the American lifestyle, we don't come into contact with each other. You know, we're not like Italians, we don't like kiss each other. So it's not gonna like grow at the same rate. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, which, you know, all those things probably do play some small role. But like, if you look at some of the worst hotspots for the infection, it's like the suburbs of New York. And like, how are the suburbs of New York all that different from the suburbs of Oklahoma City? or the suburbs of, you know, in Mississippi, or the suburbs outside, you know, Atlanta. Like, it's not like people don't come into contact with each other within these other contexts, you know? Like, even if it's like the movie theater, or like the, mm -hmm. whatever, the Chinese food spot, I just a bad example, actually, let's use a different, the Italian <laughs> spot, you know? Wait, that's also a bad example, wait. The <laughs> regular restaurant, the Persian food, the Persian food spot. <laughs> The Persian food me, spot, yeah. You let know. me ask you this, because um, there's also, you know, as someone who's, who's you know, written these articles and, and talked to a lot of epi epidemiologists, I always have a hard time with that word. What's your response to these people, including our president, who says, oh, uh, this many number of people die from the flu, this many people die from, the, uh, from car accidents, yada, yada. What's the response to them? I mean, you know, I guess I find it sort of like a uh, context that's like callous, almost beyond belief. Um, you know, uh, you can't just let people die. <laughs> you know, you can't, I mean, I don't know how else to, to put it aside from that, but you just can't let people die if it's uh, possible to prevent it. Um, I also think what people don't really anticipate is that what really happens with this, uh, with this virus, and we've seen it in country after country, is that as more people get infected, there's this big lag built in. So by the time you know how many people are infected, your hospital is starting to get overwhelmed. And that doesn't just matter for the people who, who themselves are infected and have severe infections, like which is only a small percentage, but if it's a lot of cases, that's still a lot of absolute number of people, is that anyone with trouble um, can't get help in the, in the hospital. So like my wife fell running two days ago um, and she, and I was just like, oh shit, what if we have to go to the hospital? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it just made me think like any time, anybody having trouble, you know, our friend uh, Musa's uh, father had to like have a kidney, his grandfather had to have a kidney thing. Um, and like, he couldn't, his father, um, you know, his grandfather speaks Farsi, dad, uh, you know, speaks English and Farsi. But his dad couldn't go inside the hospital to help him translate for the to, for what was going on. You know, we got a friend, an, an Atlantic colleague, um, whose wife looked like she was going into early labor, and he's got a cough. He doesn't seem like he has COVID nineteen, but he's got a cough. He couldn't get in the hospital, so he spent all yesterday thinking he was going to miss his um, 
his, his child is at birth, you know? Um, I just don't think people realize that like, you just can't let a healthcare system get totally overwhelmed. So it's not just about saving lives. It's also about like, you need a functioning healthcare system, you know? And um, if you let this thing go, it's not gonna die out on its own, you know? Um, people are expecting summertime or whatever, the evidence on that, though we expect it generally speaking to be true because other coronaviruses and influenza are in fact somewhat seasonal, um, we don't have evidence of like that that's just gonna like flatline the thing, you know what I mean? So it's, um, I can't, it, it, I mean, it's kind of unconscionable to me, to be honest, like um, I get that there's a ton of like economic um, hardship and that jobless claims are like something no one's ever seen and, um, and that that in and of itself has its own like health repercussions. And obviously there's lots of trade-offs. You'd like to do more targeted um, shutdowns instead of like total lockdowns across whole cities or states or, or countries. Um, but just look at every other country and how they've had to deal with this. I mean, that's the way I look at it. It's just like every other country that has had a major outbreak or ones that were able to suppress it just took really heavy duty measures. So like what we think America is like somehow <laughs> like, you know, you know, we think we're immune from the disease because we just don't want to believe that the thing is happening. And you even look at, you look at the way, you know, for a while the British had floated this idea that they were just going to let it go. Um, and look at them now, you know, um, everyone who tries to do that sees that they can't handle it. And so, you know, the thing, Nate Silver tweeted this, I think it was actually pretty smart. Um, he said, you know, we'd be much better off with a total national lockdown that was shorter than with uh, this region by region lockdown where some places like California are gonna have to lock down for a really long time because other places didn't. And you're gonna see these like mm -hmm. rolling outbreaks, right? Because the best metaphor for this is it's like a wildfire, so it's throwing off sparks. If you let an outbreak start going anywhere, it's gonna start throwing off sparks other places. So you can't just leave a piece of it burning. And that's kind of what we're planning to do in this country seemingly. Does anyone well, know what you the R-naught is? Does mm -hmm. anyone know what the R-naught of this disease is? Because like flu, influenza is one. R-naught of like, let's say polio is five or six. What's yeah. the R-naught of coronavirus? How contagious Around. is it? I mean, I think that's the problem is it's like, because it's so uh, socially conditioned, that variable, it's moving around. I mean, I think it's gonna, I think a lot of people think it's gonna settle out in the twos, um, but you know, could be in the low threes. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to tell, you know, and I think, um, one thing that's interesting to think about is like Seattle and New York were probably at some point in the same place or very close. Tom Hanks. It's Tom Hanks's fault. I knew it. That guy. <laughs> it was Tom Hanks. I mean, that Tom Hanks is probably, well, Tom Hanks and the NBA probably are the only people that are going to be like, if we hadn't had some celebrities get infected, we'd have spent mm -hmm. more days just messing around before we started to get serious. I think that was the only thing. It's a, honestly, that's been one of the most depressing things of this whole thing for me. It's like you got every all-star scientist in the world saying one thing, Tom Hanks and the NBA shut down and people are like, whoa, 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 this is serious now, you know? And you're like, yeah. well, okay. This is how we're gonna do decision-making in this country. Oh yeah, 100%, black yeah. people didn't take this, we didn't take this serious until the NBA shut down. I think they shut down the NBA for that reason. Like, <laughs> it's real, guys. It's real. A lot of a lot of Persians still aren't taking it seriously. They're they're visiting each other for the Persian New Year and hugging oh, and kissing. Man. I'm like, stop it already. Yeah. And what about, Any you talk about too? You talk about one thing about this in the article about the how it's kind of a stealth. You know, it it moves slowly when it when it gets you. If it you know if you if you get it, 
and, and how it could be contagious for a long time. And I, I think that's one of the big differences here that it's even more contagious than the flu. You know, like a car accident is not contagious. A car accident is a car accident. Mm -hmm. But this is us spreading it. Um, talk about that. Are they, are they coming down with the number there? Are they figuring that out? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the thing to say there is like um, the like infectious disease is just really different from other things um, because the thing, the thing grows and because the whole community must be in on it. And I actually think that's what makes it so hard for this country. It's like, we, you know, there's this historian named Richard White who I love, who's been, um, just been in my mind a lot because he wrote a ton about um, the ways that cities at the end of the 19th century, I mean, you've got all these people coming to these cities, you've got bad sanitation, you've got, you know, bad fire departments you know, half Chicago is getting wiped out all the time. And people, the, the other thing that it's happening is like people are getting sick all the time because they're passing these diseases around. And at first you got all the rich people who try and just build the stuff for themselves. But even they eventually realize after disaster after disaster that what Richard White calls the democracy of defecation was real. Like you need good sanitation and you need good water for yes. everyone always. The city was a, a ship and it sailed or sank as a whole. And I think like that's pretty much what we're gonna come to with this. And it's basically inevitable that eventually every American state and every American community is gonna to have to get on board. And it's just really hard for us because this country, both its self-conception as well as its actual institutions are not really built like that. And um, I think that's, you know, that's my, that's my hope. And it's also my fear, you know, like my hope is that if we can do that, man, we could do so many things as a country if we thought more like that, you know? And my fear is just like, we just can't do it because we have too many cultural blocks to thinking that way. And we have um, institutions that would need to change pretty, pretty radically. Um, and kind of the only time we've seen this kind of change is in, uh, in World War II. I mean, that's kind of really the only uh, national scale thing that you can imagine where basically, you know, you think about like here in the Bay, um, they just built whole cities here. Richmond, California had 10,000 people. They're like, all right, 100,000 people and a bunch of shipyards and you just deal with it. You know, I mean, basically the, like the Oakland that we all know and love is like built by the federal government, you know? Um, and it's, it's really interesting. Like that may be the kind of thing that is required here, but it's also um, without an external enemy to focus us, can we do it? Like, can we actually well, you know, have a war that's about caring for each other instead of killing other people? Like, you know, and it's hard to imagine. To that point, I was reading somewhere that a lot of these researchers, you were talking about the CDC and, and all these epidemiologists, that when they would set themselves up with these tests, when they knew that there were, a pandemic was gonna come, they never anticipated that then their research was gonna be called a hoax. Mm -hmm. And there's mm -hmm. a, a portion of our population including our president early on, but now he seems to have bought, you know, that, you know, he realizes it's real, that, that they, they didn't believe it or they don't believe it. And what, what is it gonna take? Is it gonna take them getting sick? How do we get past that? Yeah, I mean, there's like some evidence that when Fox started to take it more seriously, um, like their Google searches for hand sanitizer evened out in red states and blue states, which is pretty hilarious. <laughs> Uh, I, I think eventually, I mean, if you're kind of no matter who you are among the kind of uh, Republican um, establishment, at a certain point, 
you're going to come to the same conclusion that every other national government has. And um, I think there's a real chance for unity in that. I, I really do. Um, and, uh, but, but who knows? Um, Caitlin, do you want, I, I got to go in a sec. So do you want, do you, do you have any questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a question. You were talking about um, the lost February with the, the testing. <laughs> And kind of two things is like our, because I know that uh, LA County, for example, got access to like 20,000 more tests last week. Like, are we getting more on track or are we still not taking mm -hmm. it seriously? And then second, like, are we kind of in a lost march for like the ventilator problem? Because that, mm -hmm. the ventilator issue is stressing me out so much. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine, you know, it's like, like, because Trump is, you know, we, we you don't need 30,000 ventilators, Andrew Cuomo or whatever. It's like, are we gonna see the effects of that like next month? And Yeah, I mean, I think everything just feels like it's a month behind. I mean, I think that's the basic mm -hmm. uh, question there or the basic answer to that question that is, you know, the ventilator problem is, is one that I haven't focused as much on, but when you just look at the absolute numbers of ventilators, um, that's been from the very outset something that uh, has, has clearly just been a problem. And you know, uh, one of the great reporters at the at the New York Times um, weeks ago was like, "It's not just the ventilators; you also need the people to run those ventilators. If that's a mm -hmm. trained position, like, um, and you need to have those people on twenty four hours a day, and you need to like have they need to not get sick. And you know, so it's." It is the the ventilators are sort of like the uh, pick offable part of the problem, but like man, if you're a nurse and you don't have to go in, I mean maybe you'll go in, <laughs> but like maybe you feel called by that. But like let's say you got three kids and you're taking care of your mother at home, are you going in? You know, I mean it's there's there's a lot of things about the labor model here in the U.S. for healthcare that are seem pretty gnarly to me. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, uh, the other hope here is just that like the American healthcare system, maybe after this or as a result of this, uh, becomes more rational. Um, cause right now, every time I look into it, any piece of it, I go, this shit's crazy. And it's and like, and it looks, seems to me like it will be, uh, uh, be revealed by this, by this problem. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, I, I don't want to say it's all, you know, people have all done poorly. You look at what happened in New York with ramping up testing. You know, you had like a, one of the smaller laboratory testing players called Bioreference Laboratories uh, hook up with one of the big state healthcare systems, um, like private healthcare systems in New York, kind of with matchmaking by Cuomo, and they were able to spin up a ton of testing, way more than any other state. So there's there's these, you know, in the U.S. system for these things, right? There's a lot of room for innovation. There's a lot of room for some people to move fast. But there's not a lot of like equity there, mm -hmm. and um, that that worries me. You know, I mean, because and I'll just say one last thing: that my other big worry is just like you look across the South, and there's like an increasing number of cases in like Georgia, Louisiana, you know, Tennessee, and you go like there's the racial dynamics down there, and the way that the healthcare system works, and you look at the you know a lot of like the pre-existing conditions and comorbidities of people who you know have been put into these extremely unhealthy environments for a long time 
And like, that could be gnarly and not, and I think mm -hmm. it could also, we have a reporter working on this right now um, that like in those states, you may see a lot more young people dying and it's not gonna be 70 plus. It's gonna be like much more distributed down the, the age distribution um, because there's so many people who've been living in unhealthy environments. Um, and uh, I don't know, that, that, I mean, it all worries me, but like the fact that those people might not get help um, it, because of the way that those states have set themselves up is extremely uh, distressing to me. Listen, Alexis, we don't want to take any more of your time. Yeah, you I got to go. Great job. Um, so people, it's, it's at COVID, uh, uh, at COVID-19 uh, tracking on yes. Twitter. And it's covidtracker.com, correct? Yes, exactly. You're doing a great job, man. Thank you for taking the Thank time you. to be with us. All right, guys. I'll see you later. Thank you. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Well, that was uh, uh, very daunting and educational and all the above. Uh, Caitlin, what did you learn? Oh, <laughs> that it's worse than probably any of us even fear. <laughs> oh, Tamara, Maybe. what'd you learn? Yeah. <laughs> to stay the home. I'm staying yeah. the home. That's it. Stay home. I'm going out. Don't Absolutely. give me a high five. Don't breathe near me. Don't hold the door for me. You should have been polite last year. This year, social yeah. distance. That's I don't need hugs. I don't need love. I'm not. Not being polite. That was the last. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I learned that, uh, that, uh, we, that we dropped the ball, and we're going to find out who dropped the ball, but somebody dropped the ball at the start with the testing. So, um, you know, thank you all for tuning in. I uh, hope you guys are staying safe, washing your hands a lot, staying home, social distancing, do some yoga, whatever it takes. And we'll see you next time on, oh, by the way, share this episode and follow uh, Alexis Madrigal's to uh, the, uh, you can go to covidtracker.com at COVID-19 tracking on Twitter. Um, and don't get overly paranoid about it. I think if we do the social distancing, if we listen to Dr. Fauci, listen to Fauci, not to Trumpy. Listen to <laughs> Fauci, not to Trumpy. <laughs> Namaste. Thank you. Back to school with Majabrani. Back to school. Thank you for listening to another episode of Back to School with Maz Jobrani. We hope you're enjoying it. We hope you're having fun. And we hope you're learning something. So make sure to let your friends know. Share it on iTunes. Share the clips from YouTube. Just get it out there. However you're listening, let your friends know to tune in to Back to School with Maz Jobrani. Back to School.